0: Welcome back to the Foul Balls podcast for March 29th, opening day for MLB. And this is nice. This is what we started the podcast to do originally was talking baseball, and then some people listened, so we went over to basketball. So, but this is uh, this is good. I'm pretty excited for the start of baseball season. Uh, Wednesday was a pretty good basketball slate, and maybe that'll end up being the last like really good basketball slate of the year, just because there was a lot of value and. Some weird things can end up happening down the stretch of the season. So, like I said yesterday, we're not really sure how we're going to handle both the basketball and baseball seasons to close. Definitely, baseball is a priority, uh, but there could definitely be a slate or two if it looks good for basketball to end up doing a basketball slate. Uh, but baseball will be the focus going forward. So, how should we start? I guess we'll talk about just real general strategies for how Matt and I play baseball, just a real basic overviews. First, Matt and I both only play GPPs for baseball. We think it sets up better that way. There's a lot of variance in baseball, and it sets up very well for stacking, and that's how you create upside in baseball GPPs. I think I remember Fantasy Labs had an article last year that in... The baseball $4 buy-ins last year was something like only 13% of people stacked or something like that. So that's where the edge is to be at. Stacking creates a lot of upside in baseball. And what I mean by stacking is you roster multiple players from the same offense because everybody's correlated. If somebody gets a hit, then it's another at-bat for somebody else. It's a run-scoring opportunity. It's an RBI opportunity. All the players' production is very much Dependent on other players in the same batting orders production. So, stacking for GPPs is the optimal strategy. And then, generally, the other thing that I like to do is pay up for pitching. The one position in baseball that is the most consistent is the high end pitchers, guys like Chris Sale, Clayton Kershaw, Max Scherzer. These guys very rarely have bad games, and often they're underpriced for what their production is because if they were properly priced for the nearly 30 fantasy points per game these guys score every day, then you wouldn't be able to build lineups because they would just be too expensive. So generally you're looking for like two X from your starting pitchers and the high end guys just aren't priced enough. So I, I think that that's kind of like the general overview of the basic strategy. Now we play baseball. Do you have anything else to add to that? Matt?
1: Um, the only other thing for correlation is that generally when an offense is playing well, when they're playing well, they're more likely to see the other teams. Well, the the worst part of their bullpen. So If you knock a starting pitcher out of the game early, the opposing team doesn't go to their closer. They don't go to their setup man. They're usually using middle relievers, the guys that are just there for, I guess it's sort of like garbage time, uh, mop-up duty just to keep the game going, just kind of eat the innings because they don't want to waste good pitchers on those innings and teams don't want to leave their starting pitchers in when they're getting rocked either. So it's just a little added correlation too. And part of the reason it makes sense to use a lot of hitters in the same lineup and kind of as much as you can. Uh, I think it's important to also note that We are heavily focused on DraftKings, not just because, I don't know, it's easier or anything like that and the tournament structures and any of those things. It's also because DraftKings allows you to use two starting pitchers, so the game is more dependent on the success of starting pitchers and Like you were saying, that's it's just a more reliable position. So it's better to have two starting pitchers if you kind of know what you're doing in that area. And then also you can stack more hitters per lineup. So FanDuel lets you go up to four total players per team, actually including the starting pitcher. So it's either three or four hitters from the same team, depending if you want to use the same pitcher from that team. And then DraftKings lets you use five hitters maximum from the same team, regardless of if you're using the pitcher on that team. So it's just a little bit easier on DraftKings. That's why we're focusing there. Uh, Correlation is definitely the main thing. So we won't be talking much about individual value on players. That's kind of a secondary component. The main thing here is just trying to figure out which offenses are going to score the most runs relative to their prices.
0: So then I'll also add that there is some value to be found on players who will generally use as plugins for lineups. They're hard to identify the night before a game starts because the way that you would find a value play in baseball is kind of similar to how you find it in basketball which is somebody who's in a better situation than they normally are. So either a bench player who doesn't normally start that's close to a min price that enters the starting lineup somewhere, or sometimes there's like an eight-hitter who gets moved up to second in the lineup, which then it's probably better RBI chance, better run chance for them, and also a chance for maybe one extra at-bat during the game. So that's generally how you'll find a value hitter is just a cheap guy who's hitting towards the top of batting order in a favorable matchup. Like I wouldn't use a cheap guy who's going up against like Kershaw or something like that. But if you happen to have a cheap hitter for the Yankees or something like that, like maybe Tyler or Austin one day ends up hitting cleanup for the Yankees against the lefty. Like that would be a good spot to target somebody like that. Uh, that that's, those are usually the values for baseball. So should we start talking about the games, Matt, or anything else about general strategy?
1: Well, I guess one thing that's sort of a bridge here is that we're going to talk about pitchers and Chris Sale most notably, and you kind of mentioned how the starting pitchers, because they're too expensive or because they can be too expensive, it's hard to fit the best ones in. We sort of have an in-between situation where generally, yeah, we are capable of using the, the high-end starting pitchers, but we're going to run into some problems for opening day because – the hitters are kind of all priced fairly. There was a lot of time to prep for this opening day slate. There's not a lot of pricing value across the board. Um, There's a little bit, but there's just more preparation for the pricing algorithm for opening day. So like during the season, there are starting pitcher changes and things like that where value opens up where let's say uh, it's not, it's not on this slate, but it's sort of an example here where like Madison Bumgarner got hurt and Ty Block is taking his spot in the rotation. Then, the hitters that were priced to face Baumgartner are now value plays against a, uh, an inferior pitcher. We don't really have any of that on this main slate, so it makes it a little tougher to pay up at pitching. Uh, even with that said, though, I think that there is merit to paying up for a pitcher, and Chris Sale is really the only guy.
0: Uh, oh, more yeah. thing they will add, sorry, before we, before we go on to not to backtrack too much, but also pay attention to the weather. So if somebody is kind of new to baseball DFS and is more of a basketball just in the basketball DFS, basketball games are played inside every once in a while. A Pelicans game gets rained out, but whether there's something to pay attention to in baseball, not just because games get rained out, but if there's a strong wind blowing in or out, that affects the expected production for pitchers and hitters. So one other thing to note for tomorrow's slate is that the Washington Nationals are playing at the Cincinnati Reds, and that game's already been rained out. So you don't want to play anybody from that game because they get zero points. Touching on the slate for tomorrow, you had mentioned Chris Sale. Chris Sale is the high-end guy to roster. There's Verlander. Maybe people want to play him because he was so good in the playoffs last year, but it's a road game for him playing in Texas. And Texas, kind of a decent offense. And then also it's a favorable hitter's park in Texas. It tends to be more skewed towards hitters during the summer months, but it's still like a neutral-ish to slightly hitter's park at the beginning of the year. So Justin Verlander, I think at nearly the same price as Chris Sale. Chris Sale just a way-far superior play. The Rays had a bad offense against lefties last year. They struck out a lot against lefties. They figured to do the same this year. Chris Sale is the guy to pay up for. Uh, in the mid-range, I think that Chris Archer is a pretty good play against the Red Sox. Not because I think the Red Sox have a bad offense. It's more just because Chris Archer is underpriced for historically how he's performed. Last year, he averaged 19.2 fantasy points per game. He's at 8,500, so he needs 17 fantasy points for him to hit value. And Archer is somebody with a really significant home road splits. He strikes out more guys at home, better just better across the board when he's at home throughout his career. So Archer, whenever he's at home, I generally tend to think of him as a little bit underpriced and a little bit overpriced when he goes on the road. So I think Chris Archer is a pretty good play, even against a tough Red Sox offense. What do you think of him,
1: Matt? Well, first of all, Chris Archer has a problem, which a lot of high-end pitchers don't have, where he gets a lot worse the third time through the batting order. Um and it's probably a bit of a fatigue issue. Maybe it's an issue with his arsenal where hitters just start picking up the pitches better um towards the end of the game because they've seen him more times. Um so what I'm looking up is month by month if Archer is better at the beginning of the season, because if it's a fatigue thing, that would probably show. Uh and it does look like that's the case for his career. Uh Archer's worst month, ERA-wise, is 477 in September or September slash October. In in March and April, though, he's 334, which is his second best month. Strangely, July is his best month. But there does seem to be sort of a trend where he progressively gets a little bit worse throughout the season. And maybe that's sort of the same reason why he gets worse throughout a game, too. So we might be getting Archer at his peak at the beginning of the season because he's not tired yet. Uh, So even in a tough matchup, I think he is the best play from the mid-range, I guess, depending where we define mid-range Uh, It's very obvious at the top, though. Sale is a lot better than Verlander and also Severino, and he's got a way easier matchup than either of those guys. Severino in Toronto. Blue Jays are a decent offense, and the Rangers are probably an okay offense, but Verlander is not nearly as good as Chris Sale either. So it's Sale at the top. Archer in the mid-range. I think Arenola would be worth considering potentially, but he's a little expensive in Atlanta, which is kind of a neutral, probably about a neutral matchup. Uh, But there's rain in the forecast there, so there's some risk with Nola. Um, And then Archer is just cheaper, so I think Archer is a better play than Nola. And then we probably have to move, I guess we'll call it the cheap plays. There are two other pitchers that are probably going to be the two pitchers that we roster the most on this slate. Uh, They're expensive offenses, there aren't a lot of cheap offenses to use, and I think we're going to probably have to use cheaper pitching on this slate than we normally do. So I think the next two guys we'll talk about are probably the ones that we're going to have the most exposure to.
0: Yes, we have Danny Duffy at 7,700. Duffy is playing the White Sox, and the wind is also blowing in in Kansas City tomorrow, so slight boost to the pitchers there, although there's a pitcher on the other side of this game that we don't like very much, but we'll get to that in a second. But Danny Duffy is... A little bit underpriced, uh, 7,700, so he needs uh, 15.4 fantasy points dead value. He averaged 16.2 last year, and he's been better than that in previous seasons. It was a little bit of a down year for him last year. The White Sox hit lefties well last year, except, one, it was a little bit fluky, and two, they're going to be a worse team this year. When we consider the winds blowing in, Danny Duffy's a little bit underpriced. Do the White Sox have the lowest projected win total by Vegas this year?
1: No, I I don't think they do anymore. I think the Royals dropped below them, actually, um, when Eric Hosmer signed with the Padres. And it's continued to trend down today because, well, we'll get to this, the Salvador Perez injury. So I I think the White Sox are the third worst projected record now. And the other two teams that are worse are actually in their same division.
0: Okay, so that's going to be a really shitty division. Um, yeah, But, so, Danny Duffy, uh, do you agree? Also, very simple
1: play? Yeah, I think Duffy is pro- – well, it's going to be hard to figure out at this point what our ownership looks like because we haven't seen batting orders yet. But I think Duffy is a marginally better play than Archer uh, relative to his price. I think they're both good plays, though.
0: And then uh, you want to talk about the last – like because I think for his price, he's the best value honestly.
1: Yeah, so Garrett Richards is facing the A's in Oakland, who actually do have a decent offense, uh, but they strike out a lot. And Oakland is kind of a quirky park in that it tends to play up to pitchers. Um, It it basically has a lot of upside for both pitchers and hitters. So the reason for that is that the A's are a pitcher's park because of the foul territory being so massive. So a lot of pop-ups that would normally make it into the stands uh, are just caught for outs that doesn't do anything for negating home runs. It just creates outs earlier and at bats where in other stadiums, it would just the, the at bat would continue. It would be a foul ball out of play. Uh, so for Richards, it's not that he's pitching in a park that has deep fences where home runs can't be hit, but it's going to be a little easier for him to get outs than normal. Um, he's been really good when he's healthy over the past few years. Health health has been his problem. And that's why his average of 14.5 fantasy points seems kind of low for last year. Um, but the A's park does play kind of as a pitcher's park because of the quirkiness of it. And it's a high strikeout offense. So for 6,800, it's just, it's, he's so much better, um, expected production wise for compared to the other pitchers in his price range. And if you look by the Vegas lines too, um, there aren't too many pitchers in that range that are actually favored in their games. The only other guy is, um, Dylan Bundy, but the over under for that game is much higher. So by Vegas lines, there's value on Richards. There's more strikeout potential for him than the other guys in that price range. A lot of those guys are just like ground ball or fly ball pitchers. Richards does get a decent amount of strikeouts. So I think he is probably the pitcher that we'll have the most exposure to, um, even though the other three guys that we've already mentioned are definitely going to be in a lot of our lineups also.
0: Uh, so the other thing, too, uh, just bringing up Kat Richards' numbers the last couple of years, Richards has only made, uh, he made six starts in 2017, six starts in 2016. Health has been the issue, but when he pitches, like you said, very good. 2.28 ERA last year, FIP, and the year before, 2.34 at 3.32 FIP. He's probably a high end maybe not an ace, but right below an ace when he's healthy, and I would probably bump him to ace status if we saw him do this over a larger sample size. So for how good of a pitcher he is, I just think 6800 is a ridiculously cheap price. So let's get into the offenses, because there's, there's a few that are in really good spots. First off, we have to talk about the Yankees, because they have a ridiculous offense this year. So what do you make of the Yankees this season, Matt, and for this league?
1: So the Yankees are going to be really, really good at offense this year. They're going to be a really good team overall. Their rotation is above average. Their bullpen is probably the best in all of baseball. So it's going to be hard to stack against them because of the quality of the pitchers, especially in the bullpen. And it theoretically should make sense to stack them a lot because the hitters are so good. The problem is, well, for for this slate with nine games, I'm not so concerned about the ownership. Um, On bigger slates, you don't really have to worry about ownership too much because it kind of gets diluted with so many games. We probably mentioned this on every single podcast last season. Uh, With nine games, maybe ownership starts to become a concern compared to like a 15-game slate. But even beyond that, the prices are just kind of a little high compared to what the expected production for the players are, except for maybe Giancarlo Stanton. Like, Stanton is priced around Aaron Judge and around Gary Sanchez, and I think that'll be true for most of the year. Stanton is by far the Yankees' best hitter. Um, Him and Judge were close last year, but Stanton has a much more proven track record of being a really, really good hitter. Judge, not so much. And he wasn't even that good in the minor league. So I don't think Judge will have a bad season by any means. But Stanton's a lot safer of a hitter. He probably will be better. I mean, I think he's his best seasons are better than Judge's best seasons so far and probably will continue to be that way. So, like, Judge and Sanchez are very, very good. But I think they're generally just going to be a bit overpriced. And I think we'll only end up really using the Yankees on slates where the pitching value is low enough where we can easily fit them, or on slates where they're facing very, very bad opposition and there are enough games to dilute the ownership. And this slate doesn't meet either of those things. So I I would be a little cautious about rostering any Yankees players outside of Stanton and then maybe some of the lower-owned bottom-of-the-order guys.
0: I think Sanchez, too, comes in play just because of how thin the catcher position is.
1: Yeah, Sanchez also, I think last year was the highest owned Yankees hitter most slates because of the same reason. Um, so he's we, we roster him more because of the catcher. I guess the position just doesn't have a lot of good hitters, and so does everyone else. Uh yeah, I would say if we had to rank which Yankees will use the most this year, Stanton and Sanchez would be one and two for sure, and Judge would be nowhere close to them. You think that's fair?
0: Yeah, especially if the pricing – it depends on the pricing. Like if we're going to assume the pricing is the same as what it is on opening day where Stanton's 5300 and Judge is 5100 when they're about the same price, it's kind of a no-brainer to go to Stanton. So it, the only way that I would see myself playing more of Judge than Stanton would have to be in a situation where Judge just gets to be so cheap, uh, but that's probably not going to happen.
1: Yeah, I don't don't think so either. Um, And then the other thing with the Yankees is that they're facing a left-hander, Jay Happ, who doesn't pronounce his name J.A. Happ, as we established last year. But it's Jay Happ, and he's not bad. And Didi Gregorius actually did have pretty severe splits last year, so I wouldn't want to use him on opening day. I probably wouldn't want to use Brett Gardner. Um, But going down to the bottom of the Yankees' order – kind of after those guys, there, there is some pricing value. I think Aaron Hicks is only 3,500. He was good last year. And then Brandon Drury, potentially, um, Neil Walker at 3000. And then Tyler Austin, who you already mentioned is filling in for Greg bird. Uh, he's projected about ninth. So he's probably the strongest value on the Yankees at 2,600, even batting ninth and even with the potential for him to be pinch hit for late in the game.
0: Yeah. So I think, um, The Yankee, here's the, here's the one issue with the Yankees of the stack is the Houston Astros, I just think are in a better spot. And who do you think has a better offense to the Astros or the Yankees? Cause I think it's probably comparable. Would you agree with that?
1: Yeah, I think it's close. I think, well, we're really, we're the most concerned with the top of the order guys. Um, the Yankees are more top heavy than the Astros are, but that's kind of hard to say too, because the top of the Astros lineup is so good also. They definitely are close. I think I'd probably say it's about a tie overall, but the best hitters on the Yankees are just a little better than the best hitters on the Astros. So if you're talking just like stacking the first four hitters or something, the Yankees generally should do better. Um, They're also facing a more challenging opponent for this game in J-Hap compared to Cole Hamels, who, despite the name value, is probably worse than Hap is. Um, It's kind of similar, but... Texas also probably has a worse bullpen than Toronto this year. And I think the Astros will be lower owned and they're also a bit cheaper than the Yankees. So I think we're on the same page where the Astros make a lot more sense than the Yankees for a variety of reasons. And we would really only be using the Yankees guys as plugs.
0: So the other offense who I really, who I liked a lot coming into this slate, I still think that it's a good offense. It's hard and there's a lot of good stats. Is the Kansas city Royals. So the Royals are going up against James Shields, who is probably the worst pitcher in baseball. And not only is Shields bad, except going against him for DFS purposes is really favorable because the way that he's bad is he gives up a lot of home runs. So, RBI home runs are the best way to score fantasy points in DFS. I think I remember last year, he got close to two home runs per start or so.
1: Yeah, that sounds about right.
0: It, the, the one issue with the Royals is that the Royals are also total dog shit. So, the, the Royals... One of their best hitters is Salvador Perez. He tore his MCL carrying a suitcase at the airport today, or lifting a suitcase. I don't know, somehow tore his MCL lifting up a suitcase. So without Salvador Perez, it's a much worse lineup. There are a lot of really strong individual plays from the Royals who I think make for great plugs. I think you could do use them a lot as a secondary stack. So Lucas Dude at thirty eight hundred, Mike Lou at thirty eight hundred, Whit Merrifield at forty three hundred. And John Jay, who's expected to lead off tomorrow at 3,300. All four of those guys are great plays, and I think that there's a great four-man stack to be had there. The offense really drops off after those four guys. So if Salvador Perez was in there, this would be my favorite team to make five-man stacks of. I just only think I really like those four hitters from the Royals. Uh, If you need to use a cheap catcher, Drew Butera at 2,400 makes sense as a punt. But – I'm not going to end up using as much of the Royals as I would have liked to before Salvador Perez got hurt. So what do you think of stacking the Royals tomorrow?
1: Yeah, I don't think I'm going to do too much of it because Salvador Perez is one of the main reasons. I guess it's very beneficial to have a stack where you're occupying the catcher spot. Most teams don't have a usable fantasy catcher um, or they're just too expensive, kind of like Gary Sanchez. So Perez was... I don't know. I I would have guessed he'd be our highest own hitter for the opening day slate if he was playing and now he's not there. So it's a downgrade because you can't use a catcher in the stack and it's just a downgrade to the offense overall. They're just less good with Drew Brutera in there instead of Perez. Um, Definitely still like the top four guys, but I might be more inclined to just mix them in with other teams like you said. And then one of the other problems with shields for this game specifically is that Kansas City is a strong pitcher's park. And the wind is expected to be blowing in, like we mentioned before. Um, So a lot of that home run upside and just home run expectation that we would normally look for against Shields, it's not as high as it likely would have been because of the park factor and the conditions. And it is April, so home run prone pitchers, I think, will just be less bad generally at the beginning of the season where it's cold and the ball doesn't travel as much. Um, So Shields could... He, he has a pretty conceivable path to getting lucky against the Royals where he just pitches terribly, but maybe only gives up two or three runs in five or six innings because there are a lot of deep flyouts and just hard hit balls that find, find the fielders. Um, I'd still like the Royals, but I no longer think they're my favorite team to stack because of the Perez injury and the conditions. And then um, the one thing that favors the Royals is that we will be using some Danny Duffy. So there's win bonus correlation for having the same stack with the pitcher. And then the other thing that works in their favor is that the White Sox have an awful bullpen, probably a bottom three bullpen in all of baseball. So compared to the other teams that we would be stacking, the Royals are much more likely to face terrible relievers compared to uh, some of these other offenses.
0: All right. So there's one other team that we like to stack, and they were a team that you were originally on to find, so you could talk about the Baltimore Orioles.
1: Yeah, I think... I think the Orioles might end up being the team that I use the most of because the prices are just pretty reasonable. de um, Rizzi had his worst season in his career last year, and it's kind of hard to know if he'll be the same level this year. I mean, pitching is just so volatile year to year, and you never really know what, what pitchers are going to look like. Like, we were actively targeting against Jason Vargas going into the year last year, and then we were saying that he was a good pitcher and we needed to use him, and then... By the second half of the year, was, okay, we're stacking against Jason Vargas again. I mean, pitchers change a lot, so I would assume is bad again. I don't know if he'll be as bad as last year when his FIP and XFIP against both righties and lefties were above five, but Odorizzi is generally w- way worse on the road, and that's a little complicated, too, because he's pitching for a different team now. He's pitching for the Twins instead of the Rays, so that could change his home road splits, um, but the Orioles are a reverse splits team where a lot of their righty hitters are better against righties. And if Odorizzi is a righty pitcher who's worse against righties, then it kind of just sets up as the perfect platoon mashup for guys like Manny Machado, Jonathan Scope, Adam Jones, uh, Trey Mancini, also reverse splits. Mark Trumbo, I think is out. So that's one less guy, but I have no problem with Tim Beckham at 3,800, Chris Davis, even at 3,700. The Orioles are a lot less expensive than the other teams with the same implied run totals by the Vegas line. And the Twins don't have a good bullpen either, so there, there's a ton of upside for Baltimore, and they also uh, are in one of the stronger hitters' parks in baseball, too.
0: Yeah, and then the other thing, too, is even though Rizzi was worse this year than he'd been in previous years, he's been awful on the road his entire career. For his career at home, 3.84 fifth, and then on the road for his career, 4.7 fifth, and he was actually a decent pitcher before last year, so even when he was – pitching as like an average-ish to maybe slightly above average level, he was still garbage on the road. So I think that there's a lot of merit in stacking against him. And then the other thing also about Oda Rizzi is, I would guess that moving away from Tampa Bay, because Tampa Bay had Kevin Kiermaier on the outfield, they had such good outfield defense, he figures to have a worse defense behind him this year, which should hurt him even more. Well, so he
1: does I, have I, Byron Buxton, who is really good defensively too, but the the corner outfielders and just the overall defense in Minnesota are, are not as good as... Uh as Tampa. I think Buxton was the only player on the twins defense last year who was more than like half a run above average.
0: And they're going to have more Sano playing this year.
1: More Sano. Yeah. Well, Sano is definitely playing on opening day. Although I think he may, I think he may be DHing. I think the twins have actually released their lineup already. So, Oh no, Joe Maurer's DHing. Sano will be at third base. Logan Morrison is the first baseman. Uh, yeah, this doesn't look like a particularly good defense (laughs) outside of Buxton and center field.
0: So I think that pretty much wraps up opening day podcast. For stats, we really like Houston and Baltimore. We like the Royals a lot as plugs. Uh, There are some rosterable Yankees hitters. And for pitchers, we've got Chris Sale. We've got Chris Archer. We've got Danny Duffy and Garrett Richards. So that wraps up today's podcast. You can follow me on Twitter GMber DFS. Matt Spur handles at Preaching Sense, and we'll be back for tomorrow's baseball sleep.